Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at The Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright. Today, see if you can spot a trailer hero shot. (laughs) Today, we are talking about Minute 52, which begins with Fury clearing things up and ends with Fury's Lost Creatures. Back on the show, we have Declan Craggs from Scream Movie Minute. Hello, Declan. Hello, everyone. Ah, the cell. Loki's cell. Uh, scripted as just cylindrical glass cage, but um, I it's it's an interesting it's an interesting design for this. Um, I, let's talk about this for a few minutes. My first question for you two: obviously, it protects the ship, or is designed to protect the ship and those on it to get Hulk, or in this case, potentially Loki, off of it quickly. But does it seem like it would actually do much to them? I mean, you know. Fury kind of builds it as this steel trap. They fall 30,000 feet, but I mean, they are kind of super beings. Um, <laughs> then what? <laughs> yeah. Then they're just, they're someone else's problem. Is that kind of his pitch? Any thoughts? Yeah. So I, I roughly thought the same as you that I'm not a hundred percent sure it's going to have too much. Well, I don't think it would have much enough of an effect on Hulk. No. Yeah. Realistically. Right. You know, because, you know, in all the, not just this, but the other films, cartoons, comics, Hulk is effectively indestructible to, to that sort of thing. Um, Loki, I'm not 100% sure, but from what we've seen of Asgardians, they're fairly sturdy. I mean, Iron Man just, you know, took Thor and grinded his back up a cliff face. Um, and, I mean, even his clothing didn't get, get torn. Well, that's also because he procured them at Asgardian Fine Leather Goods, Inc. Like, that's a... Asgardian leathers are quite nice. (laughs) Pete, this is a couple of times you've mentioned Asgardian leathers. Are you trying to pitch something to us? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Who knows what? Just, I'm always... This is blue sky ideation. I'm always looking for uh, new business ideas. And if we can secure some funding... (laughs) I I have a feeling Pete is also probably working on a shirt to, to throw out to the universe. I'm just you got to merchandise this stuff, Andy. <laughs> As Guardian Leathers, that's right. Okay, so I did some looking. Thirty thousand feet. First of all, my first comment on thirty thousand feet: if they're opening the bottom of the ship up at thirty thousand feet, <laughs> isn't it like shooting a bullet in a plane? Would it like suck everybody out? Like, wouldn't Nick Fury like immediately kind of get sucked out the bottom? I don't. I actually don't know. I don't know what that like at thirty thousand feet. Do you get that sort of concussive depressurization? Like, is is that what is that what happens? <laughs> like, how high do you have to be to be sucked out of a thing? If you think about other films where you know the window of a plane. I think thirty thousand feet is the average height of a plane when it's in the air. Is that right? I, yeah, I feel like so. Yeah, I think yeah, I when think, you watch yeah. pretty much every film with an airplane in it, where the window breaks or the door opens, everyone gets sucked out all the time. You know, I'm looking it up right now. Uncontrolled uh, decompression. If an aircraft is operating above twenty five thousand feet, it must be designed so that occupants will not be exposed to uh, cabin pressure altitudes in excess of fifteen thousand feet. Oh, so. If they're flying at 30,000 feet, that's double 
And so I would imagine it would not be comfortable. Vietnam War veteran Pete Jordan is a pilot, and he says uh, when a pressurized cabin decompresses at 30,000 feet in the air at 300 to 600 miles per hour, there's no oxygen, quote, and it gets damn cold in a hurry. Uh, an open door would release the cabin's ball of pressure, causing an immediate suction explosion. Yeah. So I'm going to go with yes. Fury should be <laughs> shot out, sucked out of that Oculus in the floor. Right. The, on- the only thing that saved him was the fact that he's immensely cool. Yes. You know, he's just that kind of guy. It, it wouldn't matter. He could be standing right next to the hatch when it opened, and he'd be fine. That's actually what he does on his lunch breaks, is he strolls the deck of the helicarrier because he's that cool and can. When it's invisible, he doesn't care. He doesn't get disoriented. Fury don't care. And that's if it is Fury. Oh, Andy, we're going to introduce this conspiracy theory now? Like right now? Maybe there's more to him, more than meets the eye, Pete. More than meets the one eye. You also don't know what franchise we're working in now. <laughs> no, I was just talking about the fact that he only has one eye. That's all I'm talking no, about. I don't know what you're talking I don't about. Think you are. I don't think you are. <laughs> okay, here's the other thing. If an object falls 30,000 feet um, mm-hmm. above sea level, say they're 30,000 feet above sea level, they fall 30,000 feet with a terminal velocity of around 53 meters per second near sea level, it will take a human, and I'm assuming, you know, that, you know, a falling cell would fall the same speed about 157 seconds to fall without a parachute the final free fall speed just before hitting the ground is 78.45 meters per second um, which means that you're moving very fast and you're hitting the ground very hard and so the cage presumably will be completely obliterated again would loki survive hard to say but yes i think that it's fair to say Hulk would survive. And I think it's also fair to say that if it was any of us, we would we would be uh, a puddle. I'd be fine. <laughs> for Declan, right. I forgot. Yeah, I, I would be fine. <laughs> I'd, I'd brace myself, you see. That's the trick. You uh, oh. have to brace yourself. If you don't right. brace, definitely you're not going to survive it. But you sort of have to have, you have to have keep soft knees, you know, a bit of balance yeah. in them. All about the soft knees. <laughs> is that what it is? I'm glad we're learning these tricks from you. We brought the right person on for this minute. (laughs) My other note about this is when Fury opens up the the bottom of the ship to reveal to Loki the drop, we kind of tilt down to see. We don't actually see out the bottom, but I do see a long way for this cell to fall before it actually makes it out of just the bottom of the ship along with a lot of open ladders and open halls around this kind of cylindrical drop, why would those all be open for this thing in case Fury's like, I'm going to just push this button and drop whoever's in this cell. And like, wait, wait, I'm I'm working on the the wiring over here. And then that guy's gone. Yeah. Shouldn't it be the last thing at the bottom of the ship is what you're saying? Absolutely. And shouldn't it, at the very least, be, if it is going to be higher up in the ship, which it is, shouldn't sealed this, tube. The, yeah, a s- sealed cylindrical tube going down as opposed to just an opening where everyone could be walking and working. <laughs> this is an ocean nightmare. Th- th- those are viewing decks. They're so, if you want to watch, <laughs> you know, you can pay a VIP ticket, get a VIP ticket, and you can watch. Yes. 
Well, that's just horrible. Without realizing that you're also going to be out there watching falling <laughs> as it continues to fall. <laughs> oh, this is just horrifying. Just horrifying. So, so we've got this interesting conversation between Nick Fury, uh, who comes in here to talk to Loki, and they have this conversation about this idea of, I mean, basically what we're getting here is Fury setting up this situation for Loki. We have you. You can't get away. We, um, you know, you're in, you're not, not in a position to bargain, basically, is kind of what he's saying here. He's talking about how we're going to just drop you this whole ant boot thing that, you know, Samuel L. Jackson does that sort of stuff so incredibly well. Um, but do you think that, I mean, is he threatening Loki with this whole thing when, when Loki acknowledges he knows who it's, it's not built for him? And then Fury says it's built for something a lot stronger than you. Is, is he threatening Loki or do you feel like, does he legitimately think Hulk stronger? Does he, how, I mean, he doesn't know a lot about Loki, but what's your sense of the way that kind of he plays this conversation here? He gets feeling Fury, uh, maybe in a statement that reeks of irony, is really more of a book cover guy. Like, he's just looking at Loki and he sees Hulk and he's like, oh, okay, Hulk is probably stronger than Loki. Because he doesn't really he doesn't really see below the surface. I don't think he's threatening him. I think he's just stating a fact. He's stating a fact in his in his head that he deeply believes that this thing was built for the strongest thing we know of. And we know of you. And I still think I know of a stronger thing. So ergo. QED. I mean, he's had one interaction with Loki, and that was at the beginning of the film, the destruction of the uh, Pegasus project, that whole base. Mm -hmm. And so and he sees Loki in action. He sees him jumping. He sees him, you know, killing people rather quickly. Uh, but yeah, I just but also I, it remember was, like he didn't see him like he uh, according to your read of Loki being weakened in the beginning. There is a case to be made that that he thinks he did some damage to him. I don't know if he thinks he did some damage, but I think that, yeah, yeah, it might be a thing where he just feels and like he's beatable. He's beatable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting. What do you think, Declan? I think that he, like Pete said, it, he's saying it as a fact, but I think that he's using that fact to threaten Loki because of the way he says that. It's like, this is the facts. And, you know, so you should be scared. I mean, it's, it is an interesting play and i suppose that what we're getting out of this is this is just a play um that as the person who has captured this super villain he needs to come in and say this sort of stuff right i mean that's kind of his job yeah it, he could, couldn't really come in and go oh my god that was close that god you know we didn't <laughs> think we were gonna yeah you. Dodged a <laughs> I, you know again does it is would this be a place again i i just keep well maybe we should save this for the next minute when we cut to uh you know our heroes in the conference room i just i keep wondering like why does nobody say why was it so easy to why didn't he try escaping like he was sitting on that cliff side for like several minutes while you were all fighting why didn't he just disappear or something but maybe we should save that oh not just sitting casually reclining <laughs> right i think i saw some popcorn yeah Okay, um, does Loki, what do you all think about the way that he so quickly singles out the camera and plays to it? Is this his... I think the camera's right in the middle of the thing. How do you miss it? But but why do you think that he assumes everybody's watching? 
Like why, why? I mean, the only reason that he would very specifically play to a security camera is if he assumes that there are people on the other end watching him. I think Loki's a showman, isn't he? I think he's always playing to a crowd. So I think he always thinks people are watching him. He's, you know, he's egotistical. Well, he's not wrong. (laughs) Yeah, I think the camera might not be on and he'd still play to it. Uh, but in this case, yeah, I mean, I think it's, and I think it makes a nice dramatic transition to what is, is, uh, Fury's collection of stable that they're sitting around. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, it is just one of those things where it allows for a nice transition to your point, Pete. Um, but maybe for my money, it ends up playing a little too cinematically in a way where it's the director guiding us in a way where i i don't know i guess i just i i definitely see your point declan it is loki he always wants to be playing to a crowd but i just think it would be funny if he's playing to all these cameras and none of them happen to actually be on like that would that would strike me as maybe not a great strategy but it it <laughs> so it just it yeah it because uh, and maybe this is me but because of that moment that we had with Bruce in the in our last minute where Bruce kind of gets all squinty eyed and like pinches his head like Loki is getting into his head in some way because he so quickly goes to the camera and we cut to the conference table where we see Natasha and Bruce both kind of watching this play out it does make me think that is there some ability that Loki has to kind of tap into um, to people's heads? And he knows they're watching because he can sense them. Like, that's what I keep getting out of scenes like this. The way that they're being directed is that, I don't know. I just feel like that the director is trying to say Loki can read people in some way that we didn't realize. I, I, I mean, does it not play that way? Or is it just is it just me reading into this way too much i think loki gets into people's heads but not in a you know telepathic sort of way more of a just the way he is a psychological way that he gets into people's heads by his mannerisms and the way he speaks and the way he acts and i think he gets you know he plays mind games with people as much as you know any superpower i'm, I'm kind of with declan i still don't read it that he's um uh, uh, that they're communicating a like he has any sort of telepathic control ability. I, I just feel like he is. He's a manipulator. He's a trickster. And I, I, I mean, if they if there is some sort of mental reckoning going on, they sure don't ever make that like they, it sure never pays off. Like I, it never pays off. No, um, no. That's why it's weird to me. <laughs> yeah, but I don't yeah. see it. Yeah. That's the problem. It's not weird because I don't see it. Um, I, I, you know. No, I don't know. I, I, I can't make the case. That's fine. I, I, I just, for me, I, I think I'm probably an island on this, but I just feel like there are a couple of these moments where the director is crafting some scenes involving Loki, like the one in the last minute where Loki and Bruce have an exchange and suddenly Bruce pinches his head, like, or, you know, the bridge of his uh, nose, like he's having a, a headache because Loki is, because of the presence. I just don't know. It just, it's, it's strange to me. And so, you know, a minute later when we have this moment where he intuitively understands that people are watching him, I just, I, and I'm not saying he's like telepathically trying to control their minds or something. I'm just saying 
maybe they're saying something about how Loki can can read people and and is reading this sense of them looking at him. I don't know. I it, none of it really makes sense. It's just one of those things where I feel like there is a way to read something happening. Although I I do think that it wouldn't be a stretch for Loki to assume that the camera is switched on because there is a camera. He's you know he is and he's in a cage. He knows he's a big deal. Yeah, right, right. Mr. Big Deal. He's kind of a big deal around here. Um, all right. Well, so we get, so we're in the conference room now and we see, uh, I mean, it actually, I mean, to your point, Pete, it's a great transition here because we've got that line about Hulk as he, as he says, uh, you know, Fury says built for something a lot stronger than you. And he says, Oh, I've heard a mindless beast makes play. He's still a man. And we cut to Natasha acknowledging that Bruce is standing here. And then she kind of looks up at Bruce who gives her a look too. I really do like the way that this plays between these characters, this constant acknowledgement of all of this going on between, uh, between them. And I think that speaks so much to the way that Hulk is portrayed in this film. We've talked about this a lot. We still haven't seen him, but it's so nice that at this point they're portraying Hulk as this dangerous thing that everybody should be afraid of. And I really like that. You know, I mean, this is, it, it plays well, right? I think in terms of setting the stakes, one of the things that I think is interesting about this minute, and I think is really sort of narratively smart, is that, yeah, it's a thing that we should be afraid of, and it it communicates who we are and that we are not one yet, right? Like, we're still apart. We have reason to fear each other. And uh, I, I think that's smart from the perspective of the Avengers, the building, the team. We now have everybody together on the same ship, and all we've done is increase risk when we're supposed to feel safer because the Avengers, when they assemble, are supposed to be agents of good. What do you think about Loki, the, this, you know, the way that he um, kind of needles Nick and, and calling his team these lost creatures? I get that there's the way that he just described Bruce, a mindless beast, makes play he's still a man calling him this lost creature but how does it play for you i mean he's essentially saying all of these avengers they're just a bunch of lost creatures how does that play do you, does that make sense and 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 what is he seeing in all of these others that would make them lost creatures as well i i think this is just part of loki's mind games to to try and get to nick to try and i don't know to what end mind you <laughs> he's not like he's gonna go you're right let me let you out um so I don't I don't know what the goal is just to but uh, you know to try and create divide I guess. Well, and because the thing that we know that we know now having seen the movie uh is that Loki's not trying to get out. He has a different you know ultimate plan and that's part of that's why he can afford mind games. He can afford these sorts of dialogue trespasses where he he just plays Mr. Big Deal because he knows he he knows what he has uh, uh coming and he's going to be fine. Yeah, it's I mean it's an interesting conversation between these two as Loki and Fury really push at each other and kind of test each other really as as we're kind of watching this scene play out because it's certainly we'll talk about it in the next minute uh tomorrow the kind of conclusion of this conversation between them as uh, as they're really kind of pushing at what the other wants and as far as like the tesseract goes 
I just, I do find it interesting that one of the ways that Loki chooses to approach his attack on Nick is to call all of these people lost creatures. Uh, I don't know. It's an interesting way to describe the team, and I'm not exactly sure it completely fits all of them. And so I guess it's, it's just a funny way to think that he's going to get at Nick by calling them that. Right, especially because at this point, we don't even know who all the Avengers are. Thor just showed up. Yeah. Hawkeye's gone. Loki doesn't actually really know, does he? Right. Because he's had, what, a fight with, you know, he's had interactions and some sort of uh, action scenes with some of them, but he doesn't know them. So that's sort of a bit of a random, you know, a bit of a random statement. It feels written, feels deeply written. Yeah. It, yeah, I mean, he's, other than what Clint has told him, which presumably is where he's getting all of his information about all of these different people, I mean, he has had very brief interactions with Steve and Tony in Stuttgart and Natasha, too, who was up in the Quinjet, and then the whole fight in the, in the forest. And that's kind of it, other than um, Hawkeye, who's on his team. So, it's, yeah, it's... it's it's funny how little, and obviously he knows Thor, so there's there's obviously history there. And I suppose calling Thor a lost creature is par for the course. I suppose that's not really much much of a problem at all. There, that was actually the nickname when they were growing up, <laughs> right? Exactly. Well, I don't know if we have anything else about this minute, but otherwise, um, you know, we can uh, close up uh, today's conversation. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about minute fifty three. So, uh, so Declan, tell everybody again about uh, what you're up to. Scream movie minute. So watch this space. Should be episode should be released by the time this episode is released. So very exciting stuff. I'm uh, I'm stoked. Very excited. And this is this is this is your first. Yes, this is my first. Yeah. So it's a it's a bit of a bit of an experience for me. It turns out everything is harder than I thought it was going to be, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the club. yep good to have you oh that's fantastic well check it out everybody it's going to be an exciting one and uh, that's it for today we'll be back tomorrow to talk about minute 53 so pete thanks as always oh andy tomorrow what hijinks ensue when loki gets in maria hill's head (laughs) until next time true believers Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. 